Support for today's show comes from Squarespace because, hey, you, you are a Cracked Podcast fan. You know what that means? That means you're awesome. That means you have things to say, things to do. You care about things that are neat. Show that off with a website from Squarespace. Put yourself online with a template designed by world-class designers, and there's nothing to install, patch, or upgrade ever. There's also 24-7 award-winning customer support if you do need it. Whatever you want to do with your work, what you're selling, what you're showing off about yourself, it's time you do it with Squarespace. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code CRACKED to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Do your palms sweat at the sight of a lengthy wine list? Do your eyes glaze over when people start talking about tannins? Wine doesn't have to be scary, doesn't have to be stuffy, because you can join comedian and host Ben Schwartz. You know him from Parks and Rec, Jake and Amir, so much more. He is a self-proclaimed wine novice who teamed up with Wine Dialogues to create The Wine Down, a new podcast that makes learning about wine fun. In each episode, Ben and a guest comedian sit down with a wine expert to ask all the questions you've been too afraid to ask. Listen along as they taste wine, share toasts, and crack jokes in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you choose to listen. The Wine Dialogues is a project of the William Hill Estate Winery. Hey there, folks. Welcome to another episode of The Cracked Podcast, the podcast all about why being alive is more interesting than people think it is. My name is Alex Schmidt, and I'm the head of podcasting here at Cracked. I'm also known as Schmitty the Clam, and I am also, also convinced that 50 million Elvis fans can't be wrong. You ever heard that saying? It's a little old. 50 million Elvis fans can't be wrong. That's the saying, and it was the title of a latest greatest hits compilation that Elvis Presley's label RCA Victor released in 1959. It is also a funny title because they took that phrase from a magazine article that argued specifically that, yes, 50 million people who'd bought Elvis's music were wrong. They shouldn't like it. And I, I love that phrase. I also truly believe that life is more interesting than most people think it is. And one way I consistently find out that's true is by checking out something that lots and lots of other people love. Checking into one of the most popular things in the world and finding out, oh yeah, that's why everybody's into it. For example, I only really gave Elvis a shot as of last year. Turns out he's great. Uh, another recent one for me, Grey's Anatomy. That TV show, it's, it's been on for 13 years with massive ratings, and it turns out that's because it's very, very good TV. Shonda Rhimes is amazing. And I say all that because you may not be familiar with baseball. Now, today's show is for everybody. It's about America as a whole, and we're looking at America through the lens of baseball. We're going to get into how labor works, discrimination, the economy, just what we want out of society. It's all about things you care about. The topic is specific, weird things about America that baseball shines an extra bright light on. If you're a baseball fan, you're about to be in heaven. If you're not a baseball fan, also get excited. You're about to discover a massive cultural institution that is throughout the fabric of our society. Your tax dollars go to it. Your federal government gets involved in it. And it's something that is completely fascinating if you break it down with people who know it, which we're about to do. Fun stat for you. In 2017, people bought over 72 million tickets to Major League Baseball games. Obviously, that includes repeat customers. It also leaves out additional fans who couldn't afford a live ticket, so it's a rough number. But just like 50 million Elvis fans can't be wrong about his music, 72 million baseball fans cannot be wrong about baseball being 
fascinating. There's something there. And we're going to get into what is there with incredible guests this week, old and new pals. One of them is return guest, cracked editor and writer Dan Hopper. He is one of the funniest sports fans I know. And we're very lucky to be joined by comedian, TV writer, creator, and hardcore baseball fan, Rhea Butcher. You may know them from their TV show, Take My Wife, with their real-life wife, comedian Cameron Esposito. You may know Rhea from their stand-up shows across the country. We're going to footnote their April tour dates so you can catch them locally. And they have a new podcast called Three Swings about baseball and its wider cultural context, combining the sport with what it means. So obviously they're amazing for this. They're amazing on this. And it's time you heard it. Please sit back or you can do one of my favorite entertainment tricks. Here it is. This is for real. You watch TV sports with the sound off while listening to a podcast. I, I swear by this. It's great. I'm going to be doing it all baseball season. It's really cool. Either way, enjoy this episode of The Cracked Podcast with Dan Hopper and Rhea Butcher. I'll be back after we wrap up. Talk to you then. We are joined in the studio by Cracked editor and writer and writer host Dan Hopper, returning to the show. Hey, Dan. How you doing? Hi. And uh, we are also joined by, uh, they are a comedian and TV writer and creator and so many other things, and also a hardcore baseball fan, <laughs> yep. Rhea Butcher. Hello. Thanks hey, for having me. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, I'm really excited. I'm so happy to have you both on because we uh, this show often doesn't cover sports. Uh, baseball is starting up. Today's episode, it's about strange things about America that I feel like baseball really, really brings out and really, really makes obvious. So it's about everything. And one of them is that discrimination is institutionalized. Everybody knows that. Uh, but it's so institutionalized, it has merch. And I think you see that in particular in sure. baseball Unfortunately, with the Cleveland team, the Cleveland Indians, I'll just say that so it's clear to folks who don't know baseball. I'm a big White Sox fan, and then Dan, you're a Pirates fan. Yes. And then Rhea, you're a, a Cleveland team I'm, fan. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind yeah. of, you know, in between many worlds at this point. <laughs> yeah. But I, I grew up in Akron, Ohio, and so being from there, like, it's very much a big part of the, not just the sports fandom, but just the region of the place. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. It, they're very much ingrained in the culture of the place. Like, it's... Them and the Browns and Cavs now. But when I was growing yeah. up, you know, in the 80s, the Cavs were kind of a joke team. They started to only really gain fandom until like the 80s and 90s in the way that we would describe it. But compared to baseball and football, those were the two really defining teams of that region. I feel like when I was speaking before, I almost framed it as if, like, you love their mascot specifically, <laughs> right? No, right. that's not No, that's thing. okay. Uh, I mean, the whole thing is... It's just is, around. It's yeah. all very complicated, because we're talking about, like, somewhat new... I, the logo is not nuanced, but, like, all of this stuff is, like, you know, it, it's just complicated, because a lot of people are involved, and... Um, I am not a fan of the logo. I did grow up with stuff on, with him on things, because yeah. I think that's also, you know, the more I think about it, that's like what's insidious about it is that like even a even a child, even a family that is trying their best to be forward thinking and kind to their fellow person and like all these things, like their sports team has that mascot and they just haven't thought about it because they never had a reason to think about it Yeah, because there's no one around them who is indigenous and native. And that's also part of why I think we should get rid of it because um, <laughs> those people were run off of that land. And now we're like waving this flag around, which is like very – at the very least, it's like boasting in a very rude way, you know, like yeah. gloating. Uh, and so, <laughs> and that's baseline. It, it's just like, you know, kids grow up seeing this thing and seeing it as okay because it's around them. And so then, yeah, it's hard to sort of, I guess, like deprogram someone to understand that, like, oh, that's bad. Because I mean, I had a hat with it on it 
in like 2010, you sure. know, yeah. that I like wore on my head you because I was like hundreds of thousands that's, of people. I'm from this place and that's the baseball team. And I knew oh, it's not a great logo, yeah. but I didn't un- fully understand yet because like I had never met an indigenous person. And thanks to the Internet, I can follow people and see what they have to say and go, oh, my God, I just never thought about this. And like I'm not inherently a bad person. But this thing I was doing is a bad thing. And so I'm going to consider that. And then I stop wearing it, you know, because like, oh, my God, that makes so much sense. And also like what it kind of implies when you're wearing it, because I am a white person. You can't see me. You can only hear my voice. I am a Caucasian person. And so if I was to wear that hat around and somebody saw me who doesn't like that hat or is affected personally because they're an indigenous person, then I'm putting that out there. And that's not their fault. That's actually on me for wearing it. And it's a choice you're making, but, yeah. like, the only thing I can control is what I'm saying with, like, my exterior thing, and so that's why I don't wear it anymore. No, it makes sense. No, it, <laughs> yeah, well, I know that was, like, a highly, very, very whatever, just, like, very intense description, but, yeah, like, it doesn't ruin my childhood for them to get rid of the logo. Actually, it, it enhances my childhood to go, like, I'm so glad <laughs> we're not doing this anymore <laughs> because I was unknowingly wearing something that was very rude, yeah. baseline rude at the at the easiest, you know. Well, enhances my childhood. I want, that should be more of a thing. Like, I hear uh, ruin my childhood about, like, remakes of stuff. Sure. And I'm like, no, no, it should be, like, it enhances my childhood. There's way better <laughs> yeah. effects now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This like, is so much better. They I tried. mean, <laughs> I'm way more mad about a DeLorean with a Ghostbusters logo on it than I am about <laughs> Ghostbusters who happen to be women. <laughs> I know I'm probably going to get a lot of flack for that but like come on and with cleveland's logo like if people don't know at home it's uh, known as chief wahoo and it's this like grinning red face mm-hmm. that is it's bonkers that it's on anything with, in like, the modern very day. exaggerated features too yeah it's just like yeah. so and it's evolved over the years to what it is now and it also there's many stories about the accuracy of whether it was like and honorific to this one player, which it's not actually true. It's also not an accurate depiction because <laughs> his name is Chief Wahoo, and he only has one feather. And so chiefs ha- wear <laughs> headdresses because of you know their level of hierarchy. And so it's not even an accurate logo. You can't right. even hide behind it being like, you know, well, it's like the Blackhawks or whatever. It's like, well, that's not even a descri- description of an actual human being that you're, which I don't think is any better, but <laughs> <laughs> we're talking in shades here. Right. Know? There's a ranking issue. Right. There's of everything. Course. Yeah. yeah. And well, Chief Wahoo was actually, I think in the 30s or the 40s, that actually was like a slur at that time. Like that's what people used like sort of interpersonally to refer to native people like in sports or just it was just yeah. like a thing you called somebody. Yeah, because you, you talk a, quite a bit about the logo on the uh, first episode of your show, Three Swings, mm-hmm. all about baseball. And uh, I was amazed to learn that this like basically racist caricature was like even more offensive than I realized. Mm-hmm. Like it was even picking on specific guys, and there were different versions of it, and like it really goes deep. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. I'm really grateful to the article that I read because when I think when I read that, because you know I had heard the oh it's to honor this one player. Oh it's an you know. And then that's it just like seeps into your, you know, consciousness. And so I think even, you know, I was resistant to that and not fully understanding why it's maybe time to put that away until I read that piece. And I think that was from like 2009 or or maybe 14. I can't remember. But, yeah, it's not always what it seems, you know, these stories. Because they're like just it's all people talking to each other. It's not like written in a history book. Nobody's teaching the history of the iconography of Major League Baseball teams. You know, it's not, it's definitely a college course somewhere, but not everyone's taking it. 
at lids they have to like tell you before, <laughs> right. before you buy the hat. They're like, all right, here you go. It's you can't like, touch the embroidery machine yeah. until you've passed. Right, it's like a driver's license. Like you have to do the test, and then you can. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Seventeen-year-old at lids giving you this like sociological lecture. With Cleveland's team, it seems like there were two, maybe there were more, but two key Native American players or with Native American heritage on the team at all, and they were yep. both involved in the story of it. it was It's Louis Sakalexis, yes. is that right? Mm-hmm. And then Allie Reynolds. Correct, yeah. Yeah. Allie Reynolds was the pitcher later on who the logo applies more to his storyline, which is that he was very good and then traded to the Yankees, and then won five out of six World Series. <laughs> and so then Cleveland got real mad and started like referring to him as Chief Wahoo. And then this illustrator at the Cleveland Plain Dealer would draw what, what he called the little Indian in the corner of the thing. And every time kids would come to the Plain Dealer to, to get a visit, they would want to talk to that guy because they loved it so much, which goes back to what I was saying at the beginning about how much it affects children because you're teaching them to think about this in a way that is like, oh, that's just fun. It's just a fun cartoon that I like. He's cute or whatever. And then yeah. you grow up to be an adult and you're like, don't take this away from me. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, and yeah, so the the picture, that was the logo. And then the Sacalexis was kind of who people have used as like sort of the scapegoat for the naming of the team. But in reality, the naming of the team was more so because the Boston team, which I will use the name so that it actually makes sense, but I try not to use this word either, typically on my baseball podcast, but this isn't my baseball podcast. The Boston Braves were doing really well. And so Cleveland was called the Naps. And then they were like, we need, or no, they were called the Infants. And they were like, we need a new name. We're not doing well. And Boston was doing really well, so they were like, well, let's just mock this. You know, let's just basically do this and try oh. to shoehorn. This. It, they, clearly, their success is in the fact that their name is Braves. <laughs> it has nothing to do with, you know, the players on the team or their strategy or anything. Like, we'll just we'll just change your name to something that's like that. And that's why it stuck. They were, like, trying to gain their strength or something, <laughs> right, like the Boston yeah. team. Right. Yeah. Just <laughs> trying to take some from them, yeah, I, their life force. I like the, the very extremely not unhinged response of – Sending basically racial slurs to a player you traded away for oh, yeah. having success. Absolutely. Like, yeah. Very, very rational. Once you trade somebody away, they're supposed to basically like fall over and die. Yeah. You know? They're not allowed to do anything yeah, yeah. after it's, that. It's their fault if you trade them and they succeed. <laughs> right. Like they, you, you just got to make a racist cartoon out of yeah, them. Yeah, of course. I mean, what else that's are you just, gonna do? hey, this is, that's what America was founded yeah. on. <laughs> racist spite cartoons. <laughs> Pretty much. I went on baseball reference and I looked like, who did they trade him for? Like, was it a bad deal? And they traded him for a guy named Joe Gordon, who was an all star the next three right. years for Cleveland. Yeah. Like, they got a good They got player a good trade. Yeah. They just didn't terrible. go to the World Series. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, oh, what else is new? Like, I, I can see how people would get wrapped up in it without thinking about it in the past. Like, even mm-hmm. as a kid, I, I had some family in Georgia, and so we, as a very nice family, I think, just like went to a Braves game and did tomahawk chops. Oh, of course, yeah. Which mm-hmm. is, uh, Atlanta you're Braves surrounded by a bunch of people doing it. You're like, yeah. well, why is this? You know, why would I think this is bad? Yeah, but I, uh, how how do we move past it? Can't we change it? Because because uh, also Cleveland has rolled out, and I think they had it before too, but a block C logo yep. that is just a C for Cleveland. Yeah, and that seems like a way to go. Why Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, number one, that logo actually has a longer history in Cleveland than the Chief Wahoo logo. So that makes even more sense, you know, in yeah. terms of like, if you're talking about it's been a long time, like we actually had the Block C <laughs> for longer than that. So that's not actually true. I mean, I ultimately think if you want to stop the thing that is 
kind of the worst part of it, which is the people in the stands dressing up, like white people dressing up as their interpretation of cartoonishly native people. It's not cool. Like, don't do that. I think you have to change the name of the team, too. Yeah, if, well. if anybody's ever seen the movie Major League, like, there's a bunch of <laughs> oh people like that in the crowd. Yeah, so oh, yeah. Is, yeah, yeah. That's just a very real thing. I actually went uh, last season down to Angel Stadium to see them because they just won 22 games in a row. And I was like, I have, the, I should go see this team that broke this record. Like, I'd yeah. love to just have that part of history. And I sat on the first base side, which is the visitor side. And so it was all Cleveland fans. And I took my friend Paul and he's a Phillies fan, and we've talked about this many times, but because they don't show it on TV anymore, they've changed like the broadcast rules, oh. like during the World Series and stuff. If you notice, they kept showing the guys with baseballs painted on their faces, and that's because those guys used to wear headdresses and stuff. But then they found out that all of the channels they will cut away if they catch somebody in any of that stuff because they just don't <laughs> want to perpetuate the image. Well, yeah, I, it yeah. does make sense, but it's also why we're all kind of blind to how bad it is in the stands because oh, they won't show yeah. it. So we don't oh. see that anymore. Yeah. So it's like in not perpetuating it, it kind of localizes the perpetuation of it. They right. didn't really change the policy. They just don't shine a light You on don't it. see yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. And then you're not, they're not mentioning that up top, you know, or anything. So <laughs> we're at this right. live baseball game and sitting down and he just like was looking around and was like, this is really bad. I was like, <laughs> I know this is what I'm telling you. Like it's, it's not great, yeah. but I think it's like a long amount of time and it's a lot of conversation. And I think that white fans who believe it to be something that we need to talk about need to talk about it, especially people who are actual fans of the team. Because I I used to think that, oh, maybe I need to just not participate in this team at all. But then what I realized is a lot of people who are hesitant to change it that are fans of that team feel like the people telling them to change don't understand them and aren't from Uh – they're not from there. They're not fans. So, I mean, that makes sense when somebody seems like an outsider and is yelling at you to change your – what you think, it's a lot harder to listen. So that's why I continue to talk about it because I did grow up a big fan of the team. And I still like the sort of spirit of the fandom of the team that kind of always has a chip on its shoulder that is the team for Major League, you know, like in real life, like all those things. I think that's important. But I also think uplifting and raising and listening to indigenous and native people's voices on these subjects, whether they agree or disagree, I think is the more important thing because Unfortunately, in like media and in the conversation, they're kind of being shut out of it. They don't really get to be uh. on television talking about it. Not as much as they should, I think. You know, I'll read articles and stuff asking people, you know, who are outside picketing the thing or something. And nine times out of ten, a white person gets the kicker that says, like, well, I don't really care. And then that's the end of the article. <laughs> and it's like, well, okay. <laughs> you know, like, I just think you, you have to give some power back to the person that is on the hat. You know, like, don't you want to know what their opinion is? Because it's so easy right now for people to convince themselves, like, well, I see indigenous people wearing it all the time. It's like, I I know, but there's a lot of people that don't like it. So we don't really get to hear both of those sides. So I'd rather, like, uplift that conversation. That's how I think it changes. Sure, yeah. That media disparity, it makes me think of, and not to say these things are one-to-one, but, like, the confederate flag being worn and posted and and put places that's also something i think we're slowly moving away from in the country and at the same time (laughs) there are people in the south who are like you just don't understand that this is part of my sure i mean there are people in the north that think that also so like it's i think it's (laughs) a very complicated issue and it's like been slowly moving back into culture in a way that we perhaps didn't expect yeah well and then and then the coverage of that 
issue, I feel like it's always why some mainly white people want to have it. And then uh-huh. they never, maybe because it just feels intuitive, but they never bother to talk to anybody else who's like, no, it's just racist. Like, they don't bother <laughs> yeah. to like cover they, that. Yeah, they don't know? talk to the white people who disagree with it. And they also almost never talk to black people who live in the South who have to look at that flag and what that might mean for them. Yeah, yeah. You know, like I think it's a conversation that you have to talk to many people about to really understand what it means. But I mean, the the Confederate flag is a really interesting conversation to me because it's a flag of treason. How is this even an issue? Like it's a (laughs) – you lost and you were wrong. Like you fought against this country. And so the fact that anybody thinks it's like something we should be into in this country is like just – I. it's bonkers to me that we're even considering it. But again, I mean I grew up watching – what is that show called where they have the General Lee – Oh, Dukes of Hazzard. Dukes, thank you. Like watching that and thinking like, oh, okay, this is a flag, whatever. So like yeah. seeing it makes you think it's okay. I had the Matchbox car of the General Lee when I was a little kid. And like oh, you thought man. it was cool, I just, right? I didn't, I, mean, know, I didn't know yeah, what the hell it was. And you didn't know, but yeah. it was like was a cool like, looking yeah, car. Whatever. Yeah, it's cool stars and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I've, like this probably doesn't mean anything racist. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I kept saying how that while you, I was playing How would with you it. know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is definitely not a racist car. <laughs> I said that about all the cars other cars. Cars can't be racist. I said that about all the other cars too. I just was really clarifying. Yeah, for sure. But I used to see the Confederate flag all the time in rural Pennsylvania growing up. Oh, that like makes it's, sense. It's oh, yeah. The yeah, Ohio, It's the dude. north. It's nothing. There's one but across it, the it street just, from my mom's house. It's just sort of people see it as this like vague, rebellious thing. Totally. Or it's like vaguely controversial. Or they like it because it represents white people. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That or they think it's this vague, rebellious thing and don't care about any of the implications or don't yeah. care to think about it. Comparing the two, like the Confederate flag, occasionally people defending it, I feel like they're like, well, I had an ancestor who died fighting for the Confederacy or something. And like on some level, I understand that as a thing. But like, then people are like, part of my family heritage is the Cleveland baseball logo. <laughs> right, like, I, know. I don't know, man. I it's don't know. Like it's yeah, merch. Like, yeah. It's, I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, you could argue that the Confederate flag is also merch. <laughs> oh, for sure. I mean, oh, it's merch for, it's yeah. war merch. Yeah, like we definitely love war merch in this country. <laughs> yeah. We'll go to a boardwalk. There's it's all over T-shirts. And yeah, stuff dude. Like that. Yeah. yeah, it's all over the place. Um, As but, though it means nothing. But like with wild. the with the Cleveland logo too, it's it's not like logos don't change constantly. Team nicknames change constantly. Totally. Teams change. They move cities. You don't just yeah. erase the history. Like people who are so defensive about like what about the history? It's like n- nothing about Cleveland baseball is going to be forgotten <laughs> if right. you like change to like a logo that isn't like a racist like cartoon of a yeah. person from 60 years ago. Like, and also, I would love to forget some of our history. <laughs> yeah. We've lost a lot of World Series. <laughs> yeah. Uh, our team came into existence last year in the 22-game win streak with our <laughs> right. nice C logo. Yeah. And uh, we're That's taking it. it from there. We're yeah. done. We're doing a new thing. I mentioned, like, discrimination as a thing that baseball is like a weird lens on for the rest of the country. There's, of course, the very, very famous thing of as the civil rights movement was happening for black people, Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier in baseball and there was all that going on. It's also been sort of a sport for all diversity across the board, (laughs) in particular with Latino people. There was a whole era in baseball that is, I think, less well known where Latino players would be considered more white or more black than each other in the early part of the 20th century. And so then they would either get to play in the major leagues or play in the Negro leagues, depending on just how they were (laughs) rated, because race is a concept and it's not an actual thing. Yeah, that reminds me of the concept of the paper bag test. Are you aware of that in like performance around the same time? It was in this movie called Bessie. Which stars Queen Latifah, directed by the uh, woman who's oh, Dee Reese for uh, who was her movie Mudbound was 
uh, nominated for a bunch of Oscars, um, is about this singer. And there's a moment where she's trying out for a stage show because they don't have cameras. It's like the 20s. And she's like dancing and she's like more dark skinned than the other dancers. And one of the producers holds up a paper bag next to her face. And they're like, yeah, so this is why you can't be in the show. You have to be lighter than this paper bag. Just diverting people based on the literally the tone of their skin. Super discriminatory <laughs> test oh, to allow you on stage. But with that Latino baseball version of it, there's a historian named Adrian Burgos Jr. who's looked at it. And he said that about 10 to 15 percent of the Negro Leagues, and if people don't know, that's what the separate leagues for black players were called back in the day. Uh, about 10 to 15 percent of the players in them were Latino players who just seemed dark to the people running Major League Baseball teams. And then in the meantime, they were doing stuff like uh, in 1910, the Cincinnati Reds sent a scout to Cuba because there were two pitchers that they had heard were amazing and they wanted to like check what their skin tone was. They just needed a guy on the ground that's to the like only look thing, into it. That's the only thing scouts did in that era. Yeah. Not, not just, checking like release points or anything yeah. like that. Like I got to see what yeah. the skin tones look. Oh God, that's And awful. he just explicitly wrote back to the team like they look very white good, to me. Good to go. We should sign them. Oh, oh my God. God. Yeah. I know that's just sad, but also uh, uh, baseball's been kind of a place where as much discrimination as there's been in the country, also as progress has happened incrementally, I think it's kind of happened there too. I, don't, I just find it interesting oh, like, way to see it happen. Baseball's actually gone backwards since all of its diversity when it when it was kind of on the forefront with the country of pushing forward um, mm-hmm. because there's something like less than 5% black players in the MLB right now. Like less oh, yeah. than 5% of Major League Baseball is black. And that doesn't mean 95% is white. It just means that actual black players only make up 5%. And that's because really? the scouting system has changed. Because it used to be that scouts would go out and look at these players, but now these players travel to complexes and these championships and scouts go to that. And so the people that can go to those things tend to be people that are middle or upper class because they have the money for the equipment and for training and to go to these things. And so, you know, baseball used to be a thing that you could play to get yourself to move yourself up, that you could get upward movement. And like, it's actually completely changed and Andrew McCutcheon of yeah. former Pirates fame is very like outspoken about this because mm-hmm. I had no idea but then it, it t- totally makes sense after I started reading it like baseball has moved so many things forward but then you have to like move it forward and it's a continual pace like you have to keep pushing that thing you know yeah you can't just get a bunch of singles all the time you gotta <laughs> or you can't just hit home runs you gotta hit singles yeah. also <laughs> you just gotta get on base you know well, I think also too like in basketball or football, you know, you can play in a public school, like a, you know, triple A quad A public school for the high school team and sort of get scouted by colleges and then get into the college system and then get scouted there in much more than in baseball or hockey is another sport I, I like, but that is, you know, economically discriminatory because you, you know, if you want to play baseball or hockey at an, you know, seriously, you have to get on these elite travel teams oh, yeah. Yeah. at an early age. And, and you have get to buy to, all that equipment. Yeah. For, <laughs> it's for a hockey, huge you have buy-in. to buy equipment yeah. every year. Absolutely. But yeah, you have, yeah. you know, you, you can't just play like local high school hockey at age 18 and get signed. Like you're already way <laughs> right. out of your thing. And, say, and same with baseball. You have to go to these like showcases. There's a whole industry about it. A thing called Perfect Game, which is like a, a baseball oh. pitching showcase where like... 
you know, it's elite, you know, youth tournaments to get like people. Crazy. That is like the most intense turn of phrase. Elite youth Youth tournaments. tournaments. (laughs) So how dystopian is that? My God. Basically, you have to, you know, have the money and the, you know, you have to have parents who are willing and able to fly all around the country to get you to these like showcases, to get seen by scouts, to get into like either prep high schools or junior colleges or something. It's just, it's just such a exclusive system. Oh yeah. There's a book called The Arm by uh, Jeff Passan is a really good baseball writer. And he talks about the whole perfect game system. And the weirdest part of it is almost everyone involved, except for maybe the people at the highest levels who are making the most money, almost everyone involved hates it. They all are just like, you know, they're all uh, like, this is exploitative. It's bad for, you know, it's bad, bad economically. Baseball, yeah. It's bad for the pitcher's health. You know, you have these high school kids throwing hundreds and Curve hundreds balls. of pitches. Yeah. As far as uh, that player pipeline, too, because I feel like we see just in the wider working world, we've done a few episodes of this show about how uh, society doesn't totally set people up for job success or like aim them into jobs that work for them. And baseball has a particularly convoluted system for it, like even even compared to other American sports, because there's some like broad American sports problems of like public funding of stadiums. And and we'll get into that kind of thing. But baseball specifically has like the one I just think of it as like an imperialist draft. There's a draft and it's specifically for American and Canadian born players. And then if you're from Latin America, you don't go into the draft at all. You just get hired by a team whenever they want you. And there are these like weird academies there that are their own thing. Then if you're Cuban, you have to defect from that <laughs> communist country, oh my like, God. which is like very Cold War. It's a real throwback. Oh, yeah. you know? Japan and South Korea, those players are in the professional league there. And then there's something called the posting system where the Major League Baseball pays that other league to get the rights to them. <laughs> the pipeline of becoming a player in baseball is not equitable at all. And nobody minds. It's just sort right. of this oh, yeah. thing. Yeah. 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 Well, there's like the the strange sort of mindset because all of that stuff not even aside then you start talking about like the players union and negotiating salaries and this year was like notoriously bad for the player and absolutely a windfall for all of these like teams which are billion dollar corporations you know and like but then you (laughs) tell somebody like yeah i mean i think mike moustakas got a raw deal this year like he, he i don't think it's on him he was chopping around and i think that a team should value Somebody of the talent and the name recognition and the clubhouse smarts of the caliber of Mike Moustakas should be making more than $5 million for two years. You talk to somebody on the street about that and they're like, $5 million! Because it's like (laughs) way more money than any of us are ever going to make. And like, I know that, but we're talking about different things. You know, like it's not $5 million compared to your personal salary. It's $5 million compared to how much money the team makes because he's playing on it. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't have that conversation because everybody would rather just like the the team is the team. It's not the owner. It's not all this money. It's hard to get people to unwind that out of their brains. That these are rich people, but they are devoting their life to doing this thing, and they're bringing a value to the team, and they should be paid for that. Yeah, it's a longstanding thing in sports that I feel like owners and society in general is very good at spinning things against the laborer, who in this case Big is the, the player. And, you know, players who want more money or they hold out or anything, people hate them. They're greedy. They want more money, et cetera. (laughs) But people don't – they don't have the same anger towards the owners who are printing money, 
you know, they're basically, they have no risk. It's not like owning a baseball team is risky anymore. Maybe investing in 1910 was was risky, but now <laughs> but you it, just... The <laughs> owner themselves is never going to be in physical danger the same way that the laborer for the that yeah. owner is going to be in the same way. The players get two or three chances to cash in in their lifetime, or zero, so, you know, yeah. Yeah, at, if, at yeah. any. Whereas owners, they own the team every single year. They make X amount of money every year, no matter what they do. They're not a publicly traded company. They're, you know, they're not going to get ousted by the board. They no. can just own the team as long as they want and make as much money as they want for their whole lifetime, pass it down to their yeah. children. And so it's like – and also yeah. they're, in a way, really providing almost no value to the team. Because <laughs> they know, hire somebody else to figure yeah, it all hire, out. <laughs> uh, a, they hire a team president who hires a, a general manager, and they do all of the baseball operations. The baseball players are providing such a – direct quantifiable <laughs> labor value and it's such a hard skill you know i could if i had the money i could own a team in any sport and have it do as well as any other owner but i couldn't play baseball third base for like, the chicago yeah. cubs yeah i know <laughs> yeah you should care more about the freaking owner who does not who yeah. doesn't even play a freaking game and <laughs> makes exponentially more money for his entire lifetime Absolutely. you know than a guy who's going to be done at 35 Support for today's show comes from Squarespace because, hey, I love saying this every week. You're awesome. You're really, really cool. And people should know it from your website. You should get a special domain for it. And then you should build the site. Oh, but how do I do it? It's very, very easy with Squarespace and it will look amazing. They have templates created by world-class designers that you can customize every inch of, every pixel of, and your website will look good on a phone because guess what? People are using their phones to browse the internet. Maybe you're using your phone to listen to a podcast. That's where it all happens now. We have metrics at crack.com. We can tell this is where people are moving. If you make a Squarespace website, your website will look good in that new internet space. Also, there is nothing to install, patch, or upgrade ever if you build a Squarespace website. If you do have a question, Squarespace's award-winning 24-7 customer support is there to help. How much better can this get? It's time you did it. Time you set it up. So head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code CRACKED to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. Offer code CRACKED. How often do you think about your socks? If you're like I used to be, eh, not much. But I recently discovered socks that changed the way I'll think about socks forever. They're called Bombas. Bombas are the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. Every pair comes with a built-in blister tab, stay-up technology, seamless toe. It's like a perfectly designed house for your foot. With many colors, patterns, lengths, and styles, Bombas look great in the gym, at the office, and out on the town. I look great. I feel great. You can be like me. And for every Bombas purchase you make, Bombas donates a pair to someone in need. They've donated over 7 million pairs of socks so far. They had heard when they founded the company that the number one request of homeless people in homeless shelters is fresh socks. They have set out to build a company that meets that need while also supplying you with amazing foothouses. Foothouses are the fun thing I call socks. Keep cool, keep comfortable, and keep contributing with the best socks in the history of feet, Bombas. I can't recommend them enough. Buy your new socks at bombas.com slash crack today and get 20% off your first purchase. So you even get a deal that is B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash cracked for 20% off. Bombas.com slash cracked, B-O-M-B-A-S. 
baseball season just started and traditionally and like they did this year, the winter is sort of the off season and they're not playing games and they're doing sort of the hot stove. They're figuring out who's going to play where and people only ever since the 70s have been able to be free agents, which is a whole nother thing. <laughs> That's a um, whole nother conversation. And, uh, and the player that fought for that. Never played baseball again. His yes. name is escaping me. He played for the oh, Cardinals. Kurt He's, Flood. Kurt yeah. Flood, yeah. thank you. And uh, he fought for free agency and then never played again. I'm so glad you guys bring up all this labor stuff because another <laughs> big parallel to get into is that I feel like in America and acutely in baseball, like people are just generally on the side of owners of things and not labor. Like, it's just labor always has an uphill battle. And in baseball, there's this history of players would be signed by one team and have zero rights to play anywhere else or even really negotiate a contract for themselves. And then, like you said, Rhea, Kurt Flood refused to do a, a trade with his team, I think. And then there was a legal process that led to the U.S. Supreme Court, like the actual <laughs> Supreme oh, yeah. Court. And he lost the case, but it led to the process of players can opt to play for different teams and negotiate their own contracts right. if they want to. <laughs> right. And so then we spent this past offseason, like we do every offseason, figuring out who's going to play where. And this particular offseason, players had a really, really hard time making any money. And probably the best case of it is this third baseman, Mike Moustakas, who was on the Kansas City Royals. He turned down an offer of, I think, it's a, $17 million. The, he turned down a qualifying offer, which right. every team, when you become a free agent for a team, when your contract is up, they have to offer you a qualifying offer. And, but he turned it down because he was like, I'm going to make way more money than that. And instead, he ended up with a contract for $5.5 million, which is less than half of the like token offer he was given. And it was such a weird process that some people thought the owners were colluding to depress player salaries. I, I Other, think that they were. Probably today, on opening day, whenever this comes out. Like, there's probably still players that are free yeah, agents. Yeah. I mean, like Jason Wirth, uh, outfielder for the Washington Nationals, who brings a veteran ability to the team, was, like, not picked up. They're going into this young talent and just getting rid of guys because they're 34, which seems nuts because when I grew up watching baseball, there were 45-year-olds on the field, you know? like It is a thing where now people, I think as Daniel was saying, like they only have a few shots to cash in. And also the way the labor relationship has been structured, they don't really get to cash in until almost after their prime. Like yeah. If their prime is 27, most players, because of a lot of complicated rules, I don't know if we'll get into, but they can only start to negotiate for a really big deal when they're 28 or 29 for the most part. Yeah, for the, your first three years in the majors, the team can pay you whatever they want. You get the major league minimum if they want. It's like $300,000, which again, it's like it, people are like, yeah, that's so much money, it's, but, but it's it, like nothing to these teams. Among oh, the so. many reasons we said like you need to have perspective on these deals, like also, these guys only get to make money from baseball for part of their lives. Like, you can yeah. do whatever non-athlete job you're doing forever. You right. know, mm-hmm. these guys have to stop at some yeah, point. Yeah. So yeah. They need to make money now. Yeah. So years four to six, you're eligible for arbitration, where you and the team can agree on a number, or sign a contract, or go to court, basically, and they <laughs> yeah. and you each make your case, and then you get a certain amount of money. So guys make a little more then, but still not a ton. And then after six years in the major leagues. So guys are usually in their late 20s or early 30s. Then you're an unrestricted free agent and you can sign anywhere. But again, a team can put a qualifying offer on you. Yeah. And then if teams sign you, they have to give up a draft pick. So no one wants to do that. It's like intentionally depressed salaries. Whereas, you know, so if there is like a star, star player at like 21, 22, who you know is going to be a star player, if it was an f- open market, the Yankees could give him 
$400 million or something. Right. But they can't. Like, teams literally can't do that. So players have to, like, pay their dues like they're an internet comedy writer <laughs> and, like, work for exposure for three years, basically. Right. While yeah. they like, hit 50 home hope, runs. Hope that they play the well. Game. Hope they play well for six years. Hope they don't get injured. Yeah. The whole system is geared towards you'll finally, after seven years, maybe get a big contract if you're one of the elite players. And it, this year, that didn't even really happen with a lot of guys. You know, people think they're, you know, these are these spoiled millionaires. It's such an exploitative system. Yeah, uh, and yeah. the owners, I feel like, do not get the flack that they really should. Absolutely not. It. You know, like independent teams don't even have to pay their players minimum wage. Like, they don't even have to pay them twelve seventy five for a game anymore. Yeah, it's minor, like a yeah. Whole minor, minor league players make nothing. Yeah. It's just the, you know half a percent of baseball players and professional baseball players make some money, basically. Because there's a couple things I think that the average non-baseball fan may not know, and one of them is that if you look at the history of baseball, the federal government is, like, really weirdly involved a lot. Like, there are Supreme Court cases about free agency, there are subcommittees about steroids, and then I think, Dan, you picked out that this past week when the government uh, passed a spending bill, it's like $1.3 trillion, something like that, to keep the government going. They worked in a law about minor league baseball players not having labor protection. I think it's literally called the Save America's Pastime Provision or something. Act, yeah. Act, yeah. It's some Orwellian shit. It's like <laughs> so on the nose. It's like the We're Talking Baseball and Apple Pie Baby uh, Act. Or so, you know, it's like, what the hell? But it basically said that like minor league players aren't subject to labor laws because if their labor, you know, including playing the games, training, traveling, et cetera, exceeds, causes their salaries to depress to the point where their hourly wage is below the federal minimum wage, that yeah. that's acceptable. Right. Yeah, so it's like... Cool. <laughs> that sounds What the cool. hell is the government doing? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's just like... And um, this crazy spending, but I think it was like uh, 1,900 pages or something, and they made a point of wedging in this like slip of paper about, by the way, if you're a AAA player, you don't get enough money to like eat. You yeah. don't get yeah. to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Another thing I think not everybody realizes, and, and this is in not just baseball, but like we seem to let the owners be doing things like this and then really criticize the players for chasing money. But the thing with <laughs> yeah. the, the players is that all of them who are playing baseball are trying. Right. Like everybody on the field wants to hit the ball, wants to successfully catch the ball, wants to do it well. Mm -hmm. And I don't think people know that most of the baseball teams are trying to lose right now. Oh, yeah. It sounds it sounds crazy. But most of them are trying to fail. And one side effect is that it depresses the salaries of pretty good free agents, because if you sign them, you might start winning all of a sudden. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I don't think that's good for the game, personally. Yeah. <laughs> Overall. Because <laughs> no, then it, it just creates four teams that are just going to be in the postseason all the time. And like, what is the point of that? You know? Yeah. I think that's uh, super boring. I think the biggest driving factor is it's just the owners have less and less reason to hide the fact that they don't care. And I think it's, you know, whether or not it's actually them colluding, it's that has the same effect. It's like, uh, just as an example, the, a guy, Lance Lynn, who's like an average starting pitcher, thought yeah. he's going to get a big contract this offseason, didn't sign until like a month ago with the Twins and got one year $12 million, which is decent, but it's not a long-term deal. And if he, you know tears his elbow this year, he's done. That's the last money he'll ever right. make. And pitchers get hurt every two seconds, yeah. if people yeah. don't know. Yeah. yeah. But basically... Especially somebody that came off of Tommy John surgery, yeah. which he did. So I yeah, think yeah. a lot of player, a lot of the owners look at this and they're like, hey, I can spend $12 million to make my team very slightly better. That's not going to earn me $12 million, you know, in terms of revenue or TV revenue or anything. It's going to cause me to lose money, actually. 
why would I do that? Yeah. And so they just don't do that. And really, uh, there's, uh, there's a writer, David Roth, who wrote a really good column on uh, Deadspin about this, how when, when there are no laws really compelling billionaires to act in certain ways, <laughs> the only driving force is shame, is fans being so mad that then they're like embarrassed and they have to act like they're trying. And I feel like the last couple of years, and especially this offseason, they don't really have that pressure anymore. It's like almost that so many teams are doing that, that now people used to make fun of the Pirates and the Rays and, you know, the Expos, like four or five teams that didn't spend money. But now it's almost everyone, including some big markets that just are like, you know, who cares? Like, what, I'm embarrassed? I don't care. I'm not going to give $12 million to this guy. Like, I'm going to make enough money as is. Fans are going to come. We have our TV money set. We have revenue sharing. Like, the idea of winning is, like, not in the equation, really. Yeah, it's no, it doesn't like, matter at yeah. all. So, and it's a lot of teams, and it's really weird as a fan. I mean, it feels like peeling back the curtain a little bit, but it's like, you know, it's so easy to hate big corporations and other aspects of life. You know, it's like you hate United Airlines or, you know, whatever, <laughs> Amazon. You hate what Amazon is doing to everyone. Yeah. But then it's like, now you realize you're like, oh, my God, I'm like, I'm rooting for Amazon, you know, it's like, it feels so unsettling. Yeah. Like, I'm rooting for this like old billionaire dude who doesn't give a shit about me or the fans. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but they're playing a bunch of teams that also are that guy. And you're just like, what the hell? Well, because also, because if I can be briefly a devil's advocate for like business owners, sure. I feel like a lot of why broadly in America, we want to support business owners with laws and like the, I, the Republican Party especially is like, we need to help job creators. That's the thing. Part of it is that there's like a risk in launching a business, right? Yeah. Like your business could go belly mm -hmm. up. Absolutely. It could not work out. But I don't know if that's totally logical because in the case of baseball, when it happens there, we do that exact same thing for the most protected business owners on, I think, planet Earth. Another thing people may not know is that there's an antitrust exemption for baseball, which means that Congress officially has stepped up and said, Major League Baseball gets a monopoly <laughs> yeah. in baseball. They get to be the only business in it. They get to be the only people making money in it. And from that and also mainly the invention of cable TV so everybody can see the games, like the people who own these baseball teams have made ungodly amounts of money oh, in yeah. the last couple decades. Like there is zero risk in running any baseball yeah, team absolutely. at all. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's not a startup. You're not like <laughs> right. walking into some old town and being like, I'm going to plant a major league baseball team yeah. in Medina, <laughs> Ohio. You know, like it's it's already set up. People are convinced that baseball owners are these like, Oh, I'm just oh, go go go, you know, because that's like the GOP <laughs> position of Good like impression of, I love that, that voice. Voice. <laughs> of that like you know oh it's these people <laughs> just, <laughs> just trying to make a buck you know and like trying to hire somebody and it's like no this person has a billion dollars in the bank like they're fine they don't have to do this they're just printing more money yeah like I think you mentioned dance of it like in, if you owned a baseball team in 1910 there was risk sure sure uh, now everyone's independently wealthy who owns a baseball team right. like they interviewed. Um, um, his name's Fred Wilpon. He owned the Mets. I think he still does. Yeah. And he said that the main benefit of owning the Mets is that it opens doors for his real profit-making business. <laughs> like it, People want to have Mets tickets and stuff, so then they meet him and he can make deals there. It's just like fun to own the Mets. That's why he does. Oh, yeah. Baseball <laughs> is a place of business. It's yeah. a fun boardroom, you know, which is why they're like, ah, we don't want women here. 
we're talking business. Anyway. <laughs> well, and also as far as then this team they own, like it's basically like owning a painting or a piece of land or something that just makes you richer over time forever. So people can get the scale of it. I looked at the rankings of franchise value right now and the Yankees, New York Yankees are the most valuable franchise. They were purchased by George Steinbrenner for $10 million in 1973. And I know inflation exists and that's more now. So he spent $10 million in 1970s bucks to get the team. And in 2017, his his descendants own it now because it's like a monarchy or whatever. But in 2017, (laughs) the team is worth $3.7 billion. So... That's oh. that's basically the best investment anyone's made on earth. Holy is shit. to buy that team. Yeah. yeah. What's I, and that's number one? Who's number that's two? Number one. And oh, they, number number two franchise is the Dodgers. But oh. I the, the main thing I looked at is I wanted to look like, well, sure, the Yankees are this crazy successful team. They won a bunch of World Series in the nineteen nineties. Like, of course that's valuable. If you look at I skipped the Rays at 30th last place because that's an expansion, and so there's not a lot of track record. The Oakland Athletics are the number 29 <laughs> yes. value franchise. They've been around since 1901. It's a very old team. So the purchase around the time of the Yankees won, Walter A. Haas Jr. bought it for $12.7 million in 1980, and it is now worth— The A's? Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. So he spent, yeah, he spent <laughs> more than, more? yeah, oh yeah, for the oh, okay. Oakland A's. So $12.7 million to get that team in 1980. It is now in 2017 worth $880 million. And that's not a team that has been particularly successful very often. They had like one cool Bash Brothers team and there was an earthquake and stuff. But that's about it. That's all, that's all they got going on. And then we also mentioned stadium stuff because to, to also briefly look at that, like a lot of the value that these just totally locked in, going to make money businessmen are getting is that cities and counties and states build stadiums for them. And this happens all over sports, but we, uh, like, if you're not a sports fan, you're still probably spending some tax dollars on a nearby big city's uh, sports stadium. And hooray for you, I guess. When we talk about taxes, people always get into these arguments of like, I know, I I don't use birth control. Why am I paying for it? Or, you know, <laughs> And it's like there are public goods that have been deemed to be like, you know, even if it's not directly for you, it's deemed for the public good. And okay, some of your money gets redistributed you to highways that you don't drive on, et cetera. Yeah. It's weird. That's fine. But these stadiums are being built by billionaires <laughs> who can absolutely afford to pay for the stadium because the stadium, the, the team already is making them tens of millions of dollars a year. Getting a new stadium increases the value of a franchise instantly by hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. And so they can absolutely afford it. So if there's <laughs> anyone who does not need a tax break from the public, it is these freaking billionaire owners. Cities do give it to them because they have all the leverage. There's only Yeah, 30, they don't want them to leave there's because the, the stadiums mean yeah. a bunch of jobs and then businesses that grow around it. And like to me, it's like you should just get both. Provide the jobs, yeah. pay the freaking taxes. Like, yeah. <laughs> And also if you're at home and you're wondering like, but how much money could they be talking about? Like the latest one in baseball is a couple of weeks ago – Hillsborough County, Florida, was looking at about $450 million in tax hikes for the area to build a new stadium for the Tampa Bay Rays baseball team. Because the owner of of that team. Right. (laughs) Because the owner of that team said, I will only spend $150 million on this stadium tops, and it costs like four times that. So come on. Oh my God. Do they not just have like a hurricane (laughs) and shit down there? Oh my God. They yeah. can all go and huddle in the stadium. Right, of course. <laughs> awesome they need stadium. protection yeah. from the hurricane in six yeah. years. The Rays also, Tampa opened a baseball stadium in the early 90s. They built a baseball stadium before they had a team, hoping that they could lure oh. another city's team. 
And ironically, it ended up becoming a leverage point for all the other owners in the league because whenever they wanted a new stadium, they were like, hey, the city's got to give us hundreds of millions of dollars or else we're oh, moving, God, we're moving yeah. to Tampa because there's a stadium there that's ready to go. And that happened to a couple teams, including the San Francisco Giants, how they got the Pacific Bell Park, or now it's AT&T Park. Yeah, yeah. Um, they, Big new stadium. They, the city caved and gave them tons and tons of money at the 11th hour because they would have moved to Tampa, or at least were threatening to. They would so, not have moved to Tampa. No, I, I can tell so. you that yeah. right now. There's no, yeah. I would have called that bluff for sure. Like, yeah. go ahead, move the San Francisco Giants to Tampa. Yeah. Go ahead. Give it a shot, my friend. So Tampa got a team in the late 90s, 1998, I think. They got an expansion team and then moved into a eight-year-old ballpark. And it's, now it needs to be repaired. And then signed a 30-year deal with... St. Petersburg or something, so they can't move to Tampa. It's awful. It's so stupid. Because I also remember reading that the city of Oakland, they have the football Raiders and then baseball A's, and they were, uh, both teams were pushing for new stadiums, and the mayor basically told the Raiders, like, I we only need one of these teams, so you, you guys can go if you're upset about it. <laughs> and so the Raiders are leaving, and it's like... Yeah, that's the, the Vegas conversation? That's yeah, how they that's ended up. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it, and it was written up as, like, this is the first time a city has ever stood up to a professional <laughs> yeah. Like, it's amazing that a city wanted to, like, keep its own money. Like, crazy. Because yeah. we're, as a population, just slanted toward sure. uh, the owners of these, you know, these uh, struggling yeah. owners. I'm personally torn, too, because I, I like the team so much. I have so many memories about the Pirates and the Penguins and the Steelers and stuff that, like, immediately, in, like, a more immediate sense, I'm like, oh, I want them to keep the team, like, versus, sure, like, yeah. some vague, like, having money for roads or schools or <laughs> stuff yeah. that's probably way more important, but it's, like, not as immediately <laughs> tangible and apparent. It's It makes no sense at all, but, like, your emotional side kind of slants that way, and they know that, and they exploit it, Absolutely. and they have such a limited sure. quantity that, like... The fans have no leverage. It's, yeah, there's really no sucks. there's no other Pittsburgh Pirates. There's just the Pittsburgh Pirates. Illinois is broke, and if the White Sox were going to leave, I would be like, we need to give them a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. right. That's yeah. all these communities. Yeah. Atlanta just built a new stadium. Turner Field opened, I think, in 1997. The new Atlanta stadium, of course, Atlanta has lots and lots of communities that are super broke and could use hundreds of millions of dollars. The new stadium has a, has a banner that says Turner Field, 1997 to 2017, <laughs> or whatever. It's like... Like, remember our remember history. Those 20 years. Yeah. Like, wow. It was and they here moved since it out. 1997. Just these old, like, black and white photos of 1997. <laughs> People doing the Macarena. <laughs> like, Fanny packs and shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> another, like, thing of the past to look at is I think another thing, baseball makes it acute. It's across the country in a lot of things, though, that there are very arbitrary rules as far as what is cheating and what is not. Like yes. what, what you're allowed to do and what is nonsense is very loose. And uh, one of the biggest ones in baseball has been the steroid uh, crisis. Because if you remember the 90s in particular, all of a sudden we realized that, oh, no, baseball players are using drugs. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God, this is a Everything totally a little new bigger in the 90s. Thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there were suddenly uh, a couple of baseball players breaking home run records and everybody was freaking out about it. But... In actuality, it didn't make any sense as a crisis. It, it wasn't a thing that was new. It was a thing that they had just started to test for. It was, it was a really weird phenomenon of us caring about that thing. 
what I was alluding to is actually like part of the reason why it was even a thing is because for the first yeah. time you could actually see what steroids were doing to people's bodies and it wasn't just one guy here, one guy here. Because when I look back at Ricky Henderson, I'm like, wow, that dude is way more buff than I remember because he just looked like normal to me when I was watching baseball. But then you see like Mark McGuire, Jose Canseco, and uh, Barry Bonds and all those dudes, like their bodies completely changed. They yeah. They look like completely different men from 1989 to 1995. And I think baseball was like, oh, we can't hide this anymore. We got to look like we don't like it, you know, like, because I, I don't think they gave a shit, you know, like they changed the balls so that players will hit more home runs. Like, who cares? It's entertainment. It's literally yeah. entertainment. Like, do whatever you want. But like, they're <laughs> acting like they care. And it just seems like very hollow to me. I've personally thought it's been good to get steroids out of baseball because I, I just think, you know, I just think it's not great for people's bodies over time to be because you just go in too far with it and i think these guys are you know we've been talking about how much they're paid and the stress that they're under and the potential for damage and all that stuff yeah i, yeah. I totally agree they deliberately turned a blind eye because well the baseball went on strike in 1994 fans were so mad the next you know that year and the next year and hated everyone yeah, it was a crisis and yeah. uh and you know when they started sammy sosa and mark mcguire started hitting home runs in 1998 <laughs> i feel like the last thing anyone wanted to do was to turn it into another scandal and so oh, they just sure. kind of let it Absolutely. happen, and it was this inspiring race to, you know, chasing history. And and then yeah, in the early two thousands, they every all these haughty sports writers who s care so much about the integrity of the game suddenly started caring, and <laughs> suddenly started noticing the guys they interviewed every single day were like not human shaped anymore, and like <laughs> and also were you know breaking records that were fifty years old suddenly started asking questions after five years. So because it well, because if people don't remember it, like as a cultural moment, it was framed as very historic and very natural mm -hmm. in this beautiful because like there had been home run records for decades that hadn't been broken. And there were like old black and white photos of the guys who had hit the most home runs before. And then suddenly these two guys in the Cubs and Cardinals rivalry across Illinois were hitting massive home runs. And like Sports Illustrated did this cover of the two of them in togas as if they were Greek gods and like <laughs> Olympians. Mm -hmm. It's very embarrassing now and they made the, just this whole thing of like oh what a magical thing to see guys sock dingers you know what a mm -hmm. thing and then where did their strength come from <laughs> mount olympus practice <laughs> on mount olympus yeah. <laughs> and then in particular barry bonds did way more hitting home runs after that but then suddenly all the owners and journalists started oh yeah and waving when their it was fingers barry it. they had a real when there wasn't a yeah. white guy in, in there yes, absolutely. they didn't have a toehold of going well Mark a pretty stand-up guy. He plays the game the right way. You know what I mean? Yeah, he smiles. He's like, he smiles a lot. Sign stuff for kids. He's Sammy got a Sosa son. Smiles. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no one with a son could do anything <laughs> bad. <laughs> I feel like we've almost come full circle too, because I feel like for years, sports writers they were so mad at those guys. You know, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, most famously, because both of them are kind of jerks, and so they're like, let's just take it out on these two. And then uh, if you look at Hall of Fame voting, those two are basically blackballed, and so are uh, Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, and everyone's like, you know, well, well, that whole era is tainted. Like, we'll never know who did what, and, you know, and, but now every other guy from that era, except for, like, the select five or six, are now getting voted in, like, easily. Oh, yeah. These sports writers want to take this very compact surgical stance so they seem like okay we took a moral stance okay back to normal everything's back to normal like they don't actually want to confront the issue is the reason that pete rose is banned from the hall of fame then more qualifying than P ped use 
Like, do you think there's a, a better claim to keeping him out of the Hall of Fame than there is to keeping Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, and Barry Bonds out of the Hall of Fame? I think it's it's a tough question. I think the Pete Rose thing, for people who don't know, he, as a manager, gambled on games and admitted that and came clean. Finally, years later, admitted it but was banned from the Hall of Fame forever, which ironically gets him way more attention than if he just, <laughs> so if, if they just sort of of, put him in. Just and put then, him in, no one would yeah. care. Yeah. Uh, I think it was almost like purely punitive, and I don't think it like... His accomplishments don't count because of the thing he's doing, whereas like Sammy Sosa maybe isn't a Hall of Famer if he doesn't take PEDs. You know, like maybe he doesn't right. have Hall of Fame numbers. Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens probably do. Absolutely, like for you know, sure. Like, well, because they like already had those numbers before yeah. they were taking PEDs. You could cut Barry Bonds' numbers in half, and he's a Hall of Famer. <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah, but like, I mean, maybe he's probably not hitting. You know, I wouldn't, forty I, homers as a thirty-nine-year-old. I sometimes also wonder if a little bit of Pete Rose's lockout of the Hall of Fame is the fact that he like almost killed a guy on the field. <laughs> He, like, almost Whoa, killed a catcher that played for Cleveland. So Pete Rose is playing in the All-Star game in early 70s. <laughs> Notoriously competitive All-Star game. It, precisely. Yeah, and right. so our rookie catcher, <laughs> Pete Rose, is running into home, and he covers the plate because we didn't have the catcher's rules that yet, and Pete Rose just clotheslines the guy and knocks him out in an All-Star game. And, and Charlie that's that. Hustle, he's yeah, exactly. Hard, so once they started asshole. talking about that, they were like, "That's kind of the reason why." You know, thirty years later, they changed the rules with catchers. But, is, but is like, his name uh, Ray Fossey? Something yep, like that? Ray yeah. Fossey. That's the guy. Yeah. He like he was never the same after that because of the horrible collision. Yeah, in a game that doesn't count. It, that literally doesn't count. <laughs> but there, it doesn't matter. there were tons of players though who are huge assholes who people mythologize still. I think the <laughs> the reason they came down so hard on Pete Rose is because his transgressions had to do with baseball. There's like somewhat of a difference if you're going to talk in shades about the difference between PEDs and gambling on the game. It's like at least PEDs, you're trying to win the game for the team. You're not trying to, (laughs) you know, and then as like a manager, you're betting on the thing that you're supposed to be like leading. It's just Mm -hmm. kind of there's like a lot of, to me, dishonor in that. But hey, I'm not. That'll make the rules. But then the the flip side of that, and I don't even know if I'm making these arguments, is, you know, Pete Rose is the all-time hits leader. If he's not a manager, he's in the Hall of Fame anyway. He's in the Hall of Fame for being the hits leader and playing for years and winning World Series. But, like, he did something baseball-related that everyone was so mad at, they banned him as a person from the Hall of Fame. Right. Whereas, like I said, uh, you know, Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, too, probably are not Hall of Fame players if they're not on PEDs for their career. The, their transgression caused them to become Hall of Fame caliber players, arguably, Whereas Pete Rose's is like this separate thing. Yeah. Alex and I were talking beforehand. There's players who openly cheated who are in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. There's one guy. There's a pitcher named Gaylord Perry. Oh, yeah. Cleveland. There's a thing that a lot of pitchers did, uh, which is the spitball, which is where there's a thing you can do as a pitcher where you just spit stuff onto the ball. It can mm-hmm. be like gum or or uh, chewing tobacco stuff. They used to put pine tar on their belts. They still do put pine tar on their belts and yeah, yeah. Sand- have little sandpaper in, in there and stuff. Yeah, it's a whole. It's it's almost like a magic show. It's amazing. But he did the spitball so much that he, in the middle 
middle of his career wrote a book called Me and the Spitter, where it's him <laughs> on the cover. It's like Me and the Cheating Thing by Gaylord Perry. Yeah. Mid-career did that yeah. and then just continued to cheat with that pitch right. and is in the Hall of Fame because uh, uh, just it isn't one of the things that we happen to be strict about. Sure, That's yeah. it. Yeah. If I did it. Well, in retrospect, <laughs> we it, it should have been a red flag when Mark McGuire released that book, Me and the Sweet, Sweet Human Growth <laughs> Just a cover of him injecting his ass and smiling. like With steroids being a problem or not, people only cared a bit at times. Um, there's a, a great article on Crack by Adam Todd Brown about uh, it's five reasons why steroids were never the real problem in baseball. And he picks out that as early as 1963, the San Diego Chargers in football were benefiting from steroids. And that was a thing you could do surprisingly early in time. I thought it was like a modern invention. And then baseball only banned steroids in 1991. They also only started testing for them in 2005. Oh, yeah. So they did a ban for 14 years that was not enforced. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> oh, they yeah. didn't check. Honor system. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Have you guys seen um, No-No, a documentary no. about the uh, Doc Ellis who played for the Pirates and yes. also played for the A's? Mm-hmm. And he threw... He's famous for throwing a no-hitter on LSD, but that's not what he likes to be known for. But there's a lot of conversation <laughs> about the the stuff that they – the drugs and PEDs and all kinds of stuff that they yeah. were on back Amphetamines then. Amphetamines were yeah, huge. Even in the 90s, they're yeah, still big. Greenies and yeah. shit like that. Because then the other big drug going on was, like you guys say, amphetamines because that was something that – Everyone was openly doing it. Like Willie Mays, one of the greatest players of all time, he had a bottle of what he called red juice in his locker, which was just liquid amphetamines. Pete Rose, Mike Schmidt, Hank Aaron have all admitted to taking them. It basically helps you focus and have energy and play 162 games of a yeah, season. Yeah, do you think these guys aren't taking like ADHD med- medication and stuff before they're going out, or like basketball players? There's a 2012 SB Nation did a report that apparently among Major League Baseball players, there is double the rate of the general population of ADHD. HD medication <laughs> because uh, yep. they've just there all been diagnosed for it. Not to pick on the people who actually need it, but like no. I don't know that all of them need it statistically. Uh, sure. You know, yeah. yeah. You mean in terms of the baseball <laughs> players that were diagnosed? Yeah. With it? it seems like there might be a, a, a few extra but diagnoses in there. What you were just saying. This is why it's like a it's it's a very convenient compact rage that like you know once you hear this stuff you know people. Writers who crack down on Mark McGuire, Barry Bonds will be like, ah, well, everyone was doing it then. It wasn't illegal then. Uh, Whatever. They just don't want to deal with that. They want this, like, real simple, like, I'm mad at these five guys. I've done my moral duty, and let's move on. And let's, you know, elect, you know, Frank Thomas, Jeff Bagwell, they're all in the Hall of Fame now. So it's like, you know, we don't care. But also, if you want to get super litigious about it, like, you know, Barry Bonds never failed a drug test. Uh, Mark McGuire didn't. And like you said, they weren't testing then. It wasn't yeah. illegal till 1991. So it's like if we're re- – if the argument is like, you know, Mike, amphetamines weren't illegal when Mike Schmidt was playing, then it's like, you know, we have no proof that most of these guys that you're saying did steroids did it other than obviousness. You, you don't actually care about anything. You just want to be like mad at these five guys. Be like, okay, like I'm a moral baseball writer. <laughs> right. I've done my duty. Well, it's about and let's move on. It's about them, not the players yeah. or the or the issue, the conflict, or the conversation. It's yeah. about how does this make me feel as a baseball fan and writer because I am in this position to get to say what is right, you know. And it becomes more about that as opposed to like, well, let's look at this through the lens of. Many people through time, through context and history, you know, Mm -hmm. to like actually do the game and the players the justice that it deserves as opposed to being like, oh, I'm. (laughs) (laughs) 
then I mean, then if you want to go further too, it's like there's so many variables in baseball history where it's you know before Mark McGuire broke the home run record, it was Roger Maris. He he had 61 home runs was the re- the record. Before him was Babe Ruth, 60 home runs. Right. Babe Ruth and Roger Maris are both left-handed hitters who played in Yankee Stadium where right field was like 190 feet or something. Like down the line to right field was like super short. And so it's like these guys have this huge advantage over Right, it was else. technically easy to hit a home yeah, run. Yeah, they play 81 games. Situation. Or yeah. Babe Ruth played fewer games. They increased the number of games. Uh, but like <laughs> right. they, they play half their, half their games in a stadium where they have to barely hit it to get it out in right field. And not saying Babe Ruth is great, but it's like, you know, Roger Maris is the record holder, but it's like – you know, he has these weird variables too. And so then it's like, now steroids are in it, but steroids don't count. But playing with a super short right field that's way shorter <laughs> than anything any else. Any other stadium in the yeah. Now, like that counts. And yeah. he wasn't playing against any Latino players. And Babe Ruth is playing against no black players. And it's like, right. you know, it's basically half the best players in the world aren't playing against you. <laughs> and so you start to drive yourself crazy with these things that it's really like, is this really even about anything or? No. Yeah. It's not. <laughs> no, it's it's not. a game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and also it's like, yeah. like, what the hell is the point of the Hall of Fame, too? It's like, yeah. you're going to pretend Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, like, didn't exist. You're like, if we if we don't vote them in, then, like... No one will ever know that some players <laughs> did some bad things. Right. And, yeah, yeah, it's pretty it's like ridiculous. It never happened. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and especially what you said about uh, having scapegoats for that phenomenon of drugs and baseball. Like, I feel like we seek scapegoats for all of those things in American yeah. culture. Like, anytime, if we can just get like that one person publicly shamed, oh, we've resolved We've. I feel everything. so much better now. Yeah. Yeah. What a great country Especially, you know, Barry Bonds already was like, you know, the media hated him. He was like very like curt with reporters. And so they're like, we hate this guy. So it's like a very easy, like, oh, we already hate yeah. him. So let's make him the steroid guy too. And he, also, he was the most obvious probably. But um, yeah, hitting 73 home runs at, in his mid thirties is not that normal, but <laughs> yeah, it was cool. It, it was, was, it was cool. One last general parallel I want to talk about because it's very fun is like with baseball and also American general, I feel like we're better at making it a massive spectacle. Like, like American society, especially in the 20th century, like turns sports into a spectacle better than anybody ever. You oh, know? we love like, a flyover. Yeah. <laughs> Fly over this thing that I'm in. Fly over me. <laughs> I, went to, I went to the Rose Bowl last year, and they did a flyover with a stealth bomber oh, before the game. Oh. I was like, cool. You remember when like, there were fruit like, snacks of stealth bombers? And like, yes. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. No. Like the, the, oh, my God. The what? fact that I was eating military warcraft <laughs> as a snack. In an afternoon is yeah. a little intense. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Your parents were probably like, I remember the days of bazooka bubblegum. That was yeah. better. That <laughs> right? was a nice yeah. time. It was just like a this time of bazooka. <laughs> Hundreds of billion dollar project that, you know, has almost no practical that use even nothing. for the military. Yeah. But to do a flyover, I was like, cool. Yeah. It's like... <laughs> When I and I'm a little stoked for us as a society that we came up with like Major League Baseball, where there's sausage races and the Miami Marlins home run machine and just all these like really goofy fun things. Sure. And then minor league teams are just this whole nother level yeah. of like wherever you live, there's either a major or minor league team nearby. But like go to the minor league team because they're going to do something awesomely ridiculous. And there. There's always like a, be great. like a playground and right field and then a petting zoo and left field. It's just like so much stuff is going on at these minor league games. Yeah, yeah. the ra- the Rays. Have a they have a ray tank in the outfield. You can go and pet 
Stingrays. Oh, like living stingrays? Living, living stingrays. Oh, yeah. awesome. Yeah. I'm sure those so stingrays cool. want to live in baseball field. <laughs> this is like, they're like, this is where I belong. So. They're going to leave for the Yankees for yeah, a, a much right. bigger, nicer tank. Yeah. <laughs> like, My least favorite is the uh, pool at or in, in Arizona. Arizona at Chase Field. Like, I, I, oh. I really don't like that thing. It's and like the swimming pool behind the outfield, right? Yeah. I just, or in the outfield. In the outfield, yeah. kind yeah. of, yeah. yeah. Uh, I really don't like it, and I also don't like that they're bringing back the bullpen carts. Personally, not a fan. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because, Describe because a bullpen like, cart. For so it's who. a little golf cart that then they, like, attached, like, a sort of large either – representation of the mascot or a batting helmet on the top of it. <laughs> it actually originated in Cleveland, and they called theirs the Little Red Wagon. God damn. <laughs> oh, and guys. so then, like, these As teams you were, were saying that, I'm like, how yeah, racist I know. is this going to be? And, oh, like, weirdly not inherently, but within yeah. the context of a team that's called that, yeah. absolute 100%. Yep. And then um, Casey Stengel did not want to be outdone by Cleveland, so he rented a hearse. <laughs> to be their bullpen cart. Like, all these, like, like the Ghostbusters. Well, yeah, when all yeah. these wars start. And then it just became a thing, you know, because they realized they could, like, <laughs> adorn them and put ads on them and stuff. And it's supposed to speed up the game of the reliever being driven from the, the bullpen in the outfield to the mound as opposed to them trotting in. But, like, to me, how much, number one, we're talking about fractions of seconds here. And number two, yeah. I would think as a pitcher, that run is – part of your psychological prep, you know, like physiological prep to go in and do the job that you're supposed to do. Because a lot yeah, of pitchers yeah. wouldn't get in the cart. They would only run next to it. Because if you if you super don't know baseball at home, the pitcher's in the middle of the field. <laughs> right. And when they switch pitchers, there's another area way off to the side where a bunch of pitchers are just waiting. And yeah. so then they have to run this like 300 feet or whatever yep. to get over there to go and pitch. And so there's a vehicle in some right. places. Which they're, is and really they're fun. like bringing them back because Major League Baseball is trying to make the game shorter. Like they're all- bringing all these pitching clocks. You're only allowed to have six mound visits. Like yeah. in between innings is getting shorter. You're you can't step out of the box. Like oh, this whole thing. And it's like I, I don't really think that's what baseball fans actually want. Well, I think they make want marginal difference too. It's yeah, like, it's all right by yeah. like twenty minutes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> out of no, a three-hour game. Right. right. Yeah. Pro- yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I just feel as a culture, we like America in the 20th century, it dominated like Hollywood and comics and invented jazz and all these things and also invented like crazy sports entertainment. It's just (laughs) great. I want to be stoked about something. We, We did it. Yeah, we did do it. Folks, that is the episode for this week. My thanks to Dan Hopper and Rhea Butcher for taking the time to tape this on baseball opening day eve. And for being awesome. We've also got awesome food notes for you this week. You will find Rhea Butcher's stand-up tour dates. They're hitting the road again basically right after we recorded. So if you're listening right when this comes out, they're at the Woodward Theater in Cincinnati Thursday, April 5th, Indianapolis Friday the 6th, Fort Wayne Saturday the 7th, on to Michigan and Missouri from there. It's all on the website. You'll also find Rhea's baseball podcast, Three Swings. You will find Dan's podcast all about Pittsburgh sports. It's appropriately titled The Only Pittsburgh Sports Podcast. If you're a Pirates, Penguins, or Steelers fan, welcome to Oral Heaven. Both shows are great. They're great. And uh, we had the best time today, didn't we? Beyond that, there are loads of links to the history and statistics and more we talked about on this show. One statistic to specify as far as African-American players being involved in the big leagues, there really has been a change, like Rhea said and Dan said, in African-American people getting to participate in baseball. This is the change. In 2016, 8% of major leaguers were African-Americans. 30 years earlier, it was 18.3%. So it's now less than half of what it was 30 years ago. 
and it's probably because of those factors we talked about. Those are the specific numbers. Also, one writer we leaned on in particular, Dan mentioned him. His name is David Roth. He's an editor at Deadspin.com who's doing amazing stuff about this offseason and labor and America, and it's the kind of thing we got into. You'll love his stuff if you like this. Also, I'm going to link to that Elvis anecdote that I gave you up top about those 50 million fans. I love the fun fact that he took the 1950s equivalent of a blogger hit piece about all of his fans being wrong and made it a badge of honor instead. Because, you know, like what you like. Guilty pleasures are a made-up thing. Don't buy it. And hey there, Crack Podcast fan. Do you want to buy a t-shirt? Because this section, the footnotes section, has its own t-shirt at podswag.com. There is also a Schmitty the Clam t-shirt. Because, hey, that's me. Again, that's podswag.com. And if you are in L.A. in a week or two, we got a live episode of this show for you, Saturday, April 14th at UCB Sunset in Los Angeles. Our topic is the world's most bizarre origins and backstories of the world's biggest celebrities. Free sample of that show, did you know future wrestler Andre the Giant spent his childhood getting driven to school by future Nobel Prize winner Samuel Beckett? That happened in the world. Life is fascinating, and there's more where that came from. I'll be joined on that show by comedians Matt Lieb, Jenny Jaffe, and Carrie O'Donnell. Tickets are on sale now at sunset.ucbtheater. That's theater with an R-E on the end, because we fancy. Sunset.ucbtheater.com. And as far as this episode goes, our theme music is Chicago Falcon by the Budos Band. Our episode was engineered by Josh Richmond and edited by Chris Souza. If you love this episode, that's great. If you hated it, let me know about it on social media. That's right, social media. A thing that's mostly negative for society, probably, but has undeniably improved my experience as a sports fan. It's like SportsCenter on demand. Also, just like shout out to former White Sox pitcher Brandon McCarthy for being the funniest athlete on Twitter. Really great. As far as my own accounts, you can find my Twitter account at Alex Schmitty. I'm also on the wider internet at my website, alexschmitty.com. And I'm happy to say we will be back next week with more Cracked Podcast. So how about that? Talk to you then. One more thank you to the folks at Bombas for their support of today's show. I can't recommend these socks enough. My feet feel amazing. Yours can too. And you can help someone in need if you purchase a pair of socks. They're made from premium cotton. Bombas stay warm in the winter, cool in the summer. There's every kind of color, pattern, style, length to meet your need. And for every Bombas purchase you make, again, Bombas donates a pair to someone in need. They've donated over 7 million pairs of socks so far. So buy your new socks at bombas.com slash cracked today and get 20% off your first purchase. This has been an Earwolf production. Executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Chris Bannon, and Colin Anderson. For more information and content, visit earwolf.com. Earwolf.